As promised, I want to bring uh, to the airwaves the uh, Ohio Secretary of State, as we've got a lot of issues to talk about between now and May 3rd, and maybe now in August as well uh, in this election season. Uh, he is Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Mr. Secretary, good morning. Good to have you back on our program. How are you? I'm doing well, Bob. Great to be back. Good to talk to you. So let's let's first dive into this. You and the the redistricting commission continue to submit what looked like they would be uh, constitutional uh, district maps uh, that do favor Republicans as the party in power is able to do. It has been approved on a party line vote by the commission and sent for approval to the court. Now this is four times, and each time the Republican chief justice sides with the Democrats and says nope. Can you tell me what problem she has with this, and can you tell me what the ultimate solution is going to be if she won't allow you guys, and uh, meaning the, the, the redistricting commission in general, to, um, uh, to, to do their jobs? The Chief Justice and really the other three members of the what now constitutes the liberal majority. I mean, let's be clear, there is a liberal majority on the Ohio Supreme Court, so what yeah. if uh, uh, Chief Justice O'Connor calls herself a Republican? She's certainly not acting like one. They they keep moving the goalpost, and that's really the problem. You know, they told us in January you got to draw more Democratic districts. Doesn't say that in the Constitution, but we 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 did what they told told us because we believe in rule of law. And then they came back again and said, now still not enough Democratic districts. And and then a third time they rejected the maps that we drew that that had the exact number that they asked for. I mean, the court said you got to have no more than. Uh, than 54 Republican districts. So, okay, we drew a set of maps that had that. And then they came back with a completely novel idea that's, again, nowhere in the Constitution, completely made up. And it's, that, it's what they call symmetry. They said that there is not symmetry between Republicans and Democrats, effectively saying that we didn't draw safe enough Democrat districts. Evidently, uh, they believe that the Constitution says we have to draw safe Democratic districts where you're going to automatically win just because you've got a D after your name. It's nonsense what the court is doing, and uh, they're way outside of the bounds of what the law says. Um, I know that the Ohio Constitution has no bearing whatsoever on other states, and other states don't have any bearing on the Ohio Constitution or their Supreme Court or their uh, redistricting commissions. But does it seem like this is the only state that is is suffering through what we are right now because there are extraordinary liberal majorities blue majorities in in states all over this country including the largest ones like california and new york uh where they draw their lines and they clearly favor far more gerrymandering than anybody could accuse the republicans of in this particular state uh, as you guys draw these maps why are we the only ones uh who aren't allowed to draw the maps the way the constitution says that we can Oh, you're right about the liberal hypocrisy on this, and of course their allies in the media are more than happy to uh, tell that story as well. If you want to see probably the most egregious examples of gerrymandering in our nation's history, look at places like Illinois, New York, California, some of these Democratic-controlled states. And you're right that nobody has a thing to say about it when when Democrats uh, hold the pen. Uh, It's not correct, though, to say that Ohio is the only state that's dealing with this, but you will find that in states where Republicans are in control, that Eric Holder and Stacey Abrams and Mark Elias are filing lawsuits. They, they have a strategy, Bob. They literally call it sue until they're blue. And that's exactly what they're trying to do in Ohio. If you want to know why that we have uh, such a, a, a problem with redistricting right now in Ohio, it's because of Eric Holder and Mark Elias and all these other folks on the left that are filing all of these lawsuits. 
because they want to accomplish something at the courthouse they can't accomplish at the ballot box, and that is to try to increase the number of Democrats in the state legislature. Yeah, and that's the the bizarre part, of course, is Maureen O'Connor is a Republican, at least. you know, I, I think Jack Windsor said it best uh, in his article about this. She's a Republican on paper. If people are tired of the phrase rhino, Republican in him only, she's a Republican on paper. But the way she uh, she uh, governs or she makes decisions, uh, it, it's certainly with a liberal bias. So the last question on this part of the, of the sure. conversation, Secretary LaRose, is where do we go from here? What's going to change between this drawing and the next drawing, and and why are the dates are what they are, uh, the uh, uh, limitations put on it by by uh, O'Connor and her crew? Yeah, and let's talk about dates for a minute. You would think that one of the core competencies of being a justice in the Ohio Supreme Court is to understand the state law of Ohio. In their most recent decision, they said that August 2nd doesn't need to be the date for the second primary. That's absolutely foolishness, and anybody that, that – that can read and look at what Title 35 of the Ohio Revised Code says would know that any date after August 2nd is just not tenable. Uh, but what they want is they want more time for them to be in control of the process. They, they want to keep going around and around and, and try to get more Democratic districts out of us on the redistricting commission. Um, and, and obviously, that's not something that, that we're going to stand for. August 2nd is when there needs to be the second primary in Ohio. In order to have the election in November, it's got to be done on August 2nd. And then, uh, you know, they, they argue, if, see, I, if I may, I think, Mr. Secretary, they, they yeah. argue that some states have primaries as late as September. I, I didn't know that. Is that accurate? That is accurate, but they're not justices of a Supreme Court of other states. They're justices of the Ohio Supreme Court, and Ohio's law has a whole lot of things laid out in it that all trigger off of Election Day. So, for example, 30 days before Election Day is when voter registration ends. In Ohio, we always do a post election audit. That's set out in law. So we need time to do all of the post-election activities. The work of the Board of Elections doesn't end on Election Day. In fact, far from it. Some of the most important things that the Board of Elections does happens in the weeks after Election Day. And one of the reasons why Ohio is such a gold standard for election integrity is because of all of the work we do after Election Day to reconcile and make sure that the numbers were accurate and done correctly. Uh, those are things that just wouldn't be able to happen if somehow uh, a primary happened later than August 2nd. I mean, it, it's uh, it's foolish to think that just because other states run their elections a certain way that all of a sudden Ohio needs to. Uh, the basic understanding of federalism and, and the fact that the states lay out the way that elections are run would tell you that we can't have our election for the second primary later than August 2nd. We are talking with Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose. He, of course, is in charge of Ohio's elections and the process. And I want to I want to pivot to election integrity now and talk about um, where Ohio stands. You know, I know that you and and others have said, you know, President Trump won Ohio by eight points twice. You know, we've had no problems with um, uh, irregularities or challenges or fraud and so on and so forth. But the Heritage Foundation has put out their election integrity scorecard for all 50 states. They rank Ohio 22nd with an overall score of 62 out of 100. Now, I know we're not in school, but 62 out of 100 is a D minus if you are, <laughs> if you're looking at a grade card. They say that we have an 8 out of 20 score on voter ID implementation, 21 out of 30 on accuracy of voter res- registration lists. You and I have talked about your attempts to purge the, the roles of, uh, of uh, uh, voters who have deceased or moved, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but apparently not, not enough, according to Heritage. Absentee ballot management, only a 14 out of 21. Those are the three biggest scores. 
Um, how do you respond to that? How do you defend our election integrity? And again, I don't believe the Heritage Foundation to be biased in any way uh, toward leftism or anything that might be trying to make a red state look bad. Uh, but this is what they came up with. How do you respond? Yeah, no, first of all, we work a lot with the uh, Heritage Foundation. In fact, uh, my team uh, was there in D.C. meeting with them last week. And one of the things that they were there to talk about is this. We've had several phone conversations with them. They have admitted that uh, that some of their methodology and information was incorrect about Ohio. So they are revising that study that you're talking about. Uh, and I think you're going to see an all-new uh, set of numbers from Heritage as it relates to Ohio's uh, numbers here coming out soon. So, um, again, when, when, a, when a group like this, even a really good, well-intentioned group like the Heritage Foundation does a 50-state analysis, uh, they're not going to get everything 100% right. And so they got some things wrong about Ohio. They had a, a few things they just didn't understand about how we maintain the accuracy of our voter rolls, for example, and, and that kind of thing. And so you're going to see revised numbers coming out soon. Listen, there's no let such me ask thing about as the, let, me, let me ask process. about the voter yeah. ID part, if I may, because that was the first one, and that was the lowest sure. score, as I said. Mm-hmm. That was a, you know an 8 out of 20. Um, did your office declare, when it comes to what people can show in terms of documentation as to who they are when they vote, Anything and everything that basically has your your name and address on it, including, uh, you know, report cards from universities, uh, notices, including negative ones, court papers, transcripts. I think famously there was um, uh, one state that said, or maybe this was the Biden administration who declared. Oh yeah, that, I remember. What, I'm sorry. That's that was about illegal aliens uh, showing up here and proving their identities. They can use uh, their their prison release forms. So if you've you got out of prison, <laughs> and you, so so in other words. We're allowed to show pretty no, much anything, no, according to what I'm according to what I'm reading. We're allowed to show anything to be able to vote here in Ohio, and maybe that's why we got an eight out of twenty. What, what's the deal? So here's what uh, this is all established in Ohio's law. So it's nothing that my office declares or, or some sort of decision that, that I get to make. The state law says that you have to show a state ID or driver's license when you come to vote. And the good news is 98 percent of voters do just that. There is also an allowance for an alternative form of ID. And again, this is laid out in law. The state legislature would have to address this if they wanted to. Um, But what we have in Ohio is almost virtually the same thing as what the state of Texas passed just a few years ago. So they used Ohio as an example when they set up their voter identification requirements, because there has to be some sort of alternative for people that lose theirs or can't afford one or whatever else. But the most important thing that we do, Bob, is make sure that those people are never on the voter rolls to begin with if they're not eligible to be a voter. We do a a good job of maintaining the accuracy of our voter rolls. There's always room for improvement. Uh, This is something that we've really put a lot of focus on. Of course, the Democrats will, you know, rip their garments and gnash their teeth whenever we we do this, and they call it purging and and have all kinds of nasty things for it. But we take dead people off the voter rolls on a monthly basis. In fact, when I caught a board of elections right there in Northeast Ohio not maintaining the accuracy of their voter rolls, I placed them under oversight as a result of it. They left 800 dead people on the rolls. We caught that and we fixed it. We we make sure that non-citizens uh, are not allowed to become registered voters in the state of Ohio. But, you know, again, there's always room for improvement on that kind of thing. Um, and certainly if the state legislature wanted to tighten that up, I would uh, be happy to work with them on it. 
Secretary LaRose, um, let's go from casting the votes. And by the way, I think there should be full-on voter uh, photo identification for, for voting in the state of Ohio, and it should not be uh, altered in any way. There should, not be, should be no substitutions. If somebody loses it, then just like a driver's license, if you get pulled over and you can't produce your driver's license, what do they give you, 24 hours to, to produce it at the police station in order to, uh, uh, mm-hmm. to award another, another, another uh, uh, sanction? Uh, so give them time after the fact to show that they were a legal voter by having voter identification. I, I don't want to play games because there are too many ways to defraud uh, the vote. Uh, sure. And now, now let's switch to the well, and I would be after they're cast. And by the way, the way, that we, the way that we would do that, Bob, is what's called a provisional ballot. Uh, so if somebody didn't have their ID, they would have to cast a provisional ballot. That would be fine. I, I would be open to that. Obviously, that's something the state legislature would have to enact, though. You know, and, and you said that before, too, and I get it. You don't make the laws. You're, you're looking at the Ohio Revised Code. That's fine. Do you, as Secretary of State who runs the elections, though, have any influence over the, uh, over the legislature? Can you go to the leadership of the, of the two chambers in the General Assembly and say, this is what we need to do to ensure election integrity? Can you get it done? You know, we work with the General Assembly all the time, and uh, what I have been pushing for is some additional tools to help us maintain more accurate voter rolls. But uh, this is something, again, that I'd be fully supportive of as long as uh, as long as they're willing to, to pass something that will survive court challenge. No, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear you'd be supportive of it. What the, I'm asking is, are you leading on it? Are, are you are you going to oh, them sure. and saying we need voter ID requirements in the state of Ohio, full on state identifications provided free to people who are impoverished, et cetera, et cetera, just the way that we always do and can do. But have, have you have you have you thought about going to them and pro, pro, uh, proposing it rather than saying I would be supportive if they did it? Well, there's a bill that that does that that I that was recently introduced. Uh, I think it was the state senator from Northwest Ohio that introduced it, and I've made clear that uh, that I'd be happy to work with them on that for sure. Okay, I I hope that's the case. I want to go to the other side. Like I said, now after uh, casting them, let's count them. Um, mm-hmm. Do you trust the the machines to do all of the counting and that that everything can be and will be verified? Because I believe in in a hand count. I I believe there needs to be. Uh, multiple redoubling of the counts and that hand counting should be done and it should be monitored 100% of the time, not part of the time we tell people we're going to go home and we'll start counting again in the morning by, by members of both parties, by poll watchers of both parties, that every vote is counted, observed by a set of eyes and, 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 and recorded accordingly. I do not trust the computers. I do not trust uh, the fact that uh, after the fiasco in 2020 around the country that you can hack into these machines that experience hackers can get into the voting machines in a matter of 60 seconds i'm worried i I want a free and fair election in november because i know a free and fair election in november is going to lead to a red tidal wave a tsunami and and getting control back for the people as opposed to the brandon administration and their elitists but i don't know if we're going to get that secretary larose unless we have free and fair elections and that includes things like hand counting ballots in the state of ohio do you support that Yeah, and it's actually what we do here. And it's important to understand that in Ohio, we don't have just electronic tabulation or just paper uh, ballots. We have both. And it's the redundancy of both of those parallel systems that allows us to say that, for example, we had a 99.98% accuracy rate when we ran the 2020 election, 99.9 last year for the local elections. I've had some people say that if you got rid of electronic tabulation, that nobody could cheat. Well, that's not true. I mean, paper ballots, ask Chicago in the 1960s if people can cheat with paper. Of course they can. There always have to be redundancies in place and safeguards and monitoring in place. So in Ohio, when you cast your ballot, 
It's tabulated mm-hmm. electronically because otherwise you wouldn't know the winner until probably Thanksgiving. But we don't just rely on that electronic tabulation. There is a post-election audit that's done by both Republicans and Democrats who took an oath sitting there in full public view. They count the hard copy paper. And then they have to compare that and match that against the electronic results. And there has to be fidelity between the electronic record and the paper record. That's what's at the heart of Ohio's post-election auditing. And this is why, again, people like President Trump, people like uh, Jim Jordan have said that Ohio is an example to follow. Now, listen, there's always room for improvement, but Ohio does this pretty well. Well, yeah, that is that is an important part of this this whole thing is that there is redundancy and it and it does need to be done again. Like I said, by hand, and I just wonder again, uh, can you can you point to results that the public can see of any discrepancies between computer results when they do the counting versus the hand counted results? Does everything match up vote for sure. vote, or have we had and, and is that information public? Yeah, sure it is. So when I say that we had a 99.98% accuracy rate, then you may ask, so where does that 0.02 inaccuracy rate comes from? That small number where there's inaccuracy. I'll give you probably my favorite example because it's just kind of funny. Somebody in Toledo in 2020 decided to fill out their absentee ballot with a purple glitter pen. That sounds like something my eight-year-old daughter would do. And because it was a glitter pen, it didn't, it reflected the laser when it went through the counter and it, it accounted it as a blank ballot. Well, they caught that when they were doing the hand count post-election audit. So please, I hope nobody in your audience uses a purple glitter pen when they fill out their ballot. But those are the kind of things that can happen. It's a small number, uh, but that's why we go and, and, and do that post-election audit to make sure there is fidelity, high, high level of fidelity between the, uh, between the paper record and that electronic tabulation. I want to pivot to one other thing before we go, and I want to talk about uh, what's going on in this governor's race, and in particular, the letter that was sent by your office to Joe Blystone's team saying you owe $101,000 in campaign contributions that need to be returned. There's another 130000 you need to explain, and then there may be fines on top of that. He was supposed to, if I understand it correctly, respond to this by April 15th. Today is the 18th. Has he, and where does that stand in terms of uh, his... I won't say eligibility, I guess, but uh, with respect to the uh, the gubernatorial primary on May 3rd. Yeah, so, so it's a multi-level process that we have here in Ohio for maintaining our campaign finance system. We do the auditing of those. That's a responsibility that my office has. There's uh, six full-time auditors that work in our office, go through and reconcile the numbers, make sure that money in and money out matches and that everything's documented and, and that kind of thing. But the real investigation um, and and sanctioning of people who violate campaign finance laws are done by the Ohio Elections Commission. And so uh, what I've told people is that if you believe that your opponent uh, has violated the law, you should file with the Ohio Elections Commission. That's one of the, the mechanisms you can you can use. Uh, we do the auditing, and you're right. When we audited Mr. Blystone's report, we found some pretty egregious mistakes made, and we are you know working with them to try to correct those because what we aim for is transparency. That's our goal. Ohioans deserve to know who's funding a campaign and what they're spending their money on and and that kind of thing. And so routinely, a campaign will come to us and say, we need a few more days to get our paperwork together. Uh, We're reasonable about that. We're not going to, uh, uh, you know, we're not going to be unreasonable with people. And so I believe they've asked for a couple extra weeks to to get their paperwork together, and we've granted them that. But again, if somebody believes that there's a, a violation occurring of the campaign finance laws, they have the ability to file with the Ohio Elections Commission to get the relief that they're looking for. 
Well, but the Ohio Elections Commission isn't doing anything. Uh, there, in fact, a lawsuit was just filed to get them to expedite this particular case because the, the election's mm-hmm. coming up on May third. There may be people who are considering voting for this man, only to find out later on that some some illegal criminal activities took place in his campaign. Then they want an answer before they vote on May third. Do you support this expediting of this case? No, certainly that. I can't comment on that because it's an ongoing legal matter, and I've not read the briefings on this. But this is why, for example, your profession is so important, because Ohioans need to be informed when they make their decisions. And by, you know, reporting on it, by talking about it on shows like yours, that, you know, you can get the word out. Uh, opposing campaigns and candidates will often, uh, you know, use their mechanisms to get the word out as well. We follow a, a pretty routine process in how we audit campaign finance reports and, and then, you know, what we do as a result of that. And we're following that normal course of, of, of action to, to evaluate Mr. Blystone's reports. And, and again, if he's violated the law, then uh, the relief for that will happen at the Ohio Elections Commission. Yeah, the uh, election, by the way, is in two weeks and one day, 15 days from now, and giving him two more weeks to provide the stuff that you need that was demanded of him pretty much means that there will be no answers to this before people go and vote on May 3rd. Sir? Yeah, Bob, this it was, the, it was kind of a statement that I was. I wanted. I wanted you yeah, to treat yeah. like a question. How do you? I mean, it, it just bothers me that you granted a two week reprieve to him because it takes us right up to the point of the election, and then and then what happens? You, you, you what, say anybody, he didn't respond again, and then the, do what you will, Ohio voters. The audit of his report is uh, publicly available, um, and we've had people ask for it. We've made it. We've made it publicly available so that voters can evaluate that. I can tell you that uh, just a, a objective look at that will tell you that there are some pretty pretty bad violations uh, in how they did their campaign finance reporting. Now yeah. the question is: is that just is that just sloppiness? Uh, is there a criminal violation there? That's something that takes time to, to figure out. But in the sort of court of public opinion, it's up to the voters to decide uh, whether this man's qualified to be governor or not, based on all of the things that they can evaluate, including his campaign finance no, reporting. Yeah, and, and, and again, I, that's and why I, we've I audited it. it. I get it. You, you did the audit, and I'm glad you sent the letter, but I think demanding his response to it will help the people do exactly what you said and decide for themselves what mm-hmm. they believe and what they think the, uh, the, you know, the uh, ramifications of such things are in terms of whether or not they vote for him. That's what I was really hoping that, the, uh, that your office would be able to provide and demand. Get an answer for him so the people can see not only what you made public as far as the uh, uh, potential violations, but also what they're, if they, do they say sloppiness or do they say, yeah, we, uh, you know, we were we were doing other things. It's it's something that I find would be important, and I wish we didn't have that delay. Having said all of that, I know sure. you're uh, you're a very busy guy. You got a lot of uh, irons and a lot of fires. I appreciate you coming on to talk about this today. Thank you very much, Mr. Secretary. Thank you, Bob, and thanks for reminding people. Election day is just two weeks away. You got it. Absolutely, we're on it. Uh, that's Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.